Hello there, I'm Lost the Artist. Welcome to Season 2. Everyone has heard stories about, or worse, known someone who was not nice to animals. There are mean people who do heinous things to animals. Everyone has also seen videos on the internet that show what happens when animals fight back. One group of these mean people would learn the hard way. Tonight's tale is part one of a story I call Kitty Kitty. The great cat had become well known in the neighborhood. He belonged to a family that lived on one of the cul-de-sacs in the neighborhood, but he spent a lot of time in the outdoors. So many of the people in the area got familiar with him. Even if they did not know his name, he was an American short-haired gray tabby with spots and stripes that made him resemble a savanna cat. His size contributed to this too. Even though he was easily recognized by the people of the neighborhood, the cat's owners were the only ones who understood why he was so skittish around other people. Because an incident that occurred in their home had caused it. The gray cat remembered a time when he was still a kitten. A member of his human family had maliciously tossed him across the room onto a hard coffee table when he had attempted to play with him. That was when the cat lost trust in most humans and had begun spending more time on his own, outdoors. There were a few other people in the neighborhood that the gray cat trusted. Other than the animals in the neighborhood, these people were the only ones who knew the gray cat by name as he allowed them to get close enough to read his collar. He wore a pink spiked collar with a bow and a tag that read, Puck. The older biker couple next door to his house had always been nice to Puck. The biker often watched him when he would hunt for lizards and birds on the wall behind the biker's workshop. There was a family that lived across the circle from Puck's house that he also liked. They had many large leafy trees in their front yard that he liked to climb. They also had a cat of their own, a black and white, long-haired cat named Tuxedo. There were a few other houses around the neighborhood that Puck had come to trust in time. There were a few nice ladies that put food and water out for feral cats in the neighborhood. They knew that Puck had a home because of his collar, but they let him hang around anyway. One of the ladies was very old, and even though her skin was very dark, her hair was silver. Puck liked the way her hair shimmered when the sunlight hit it just right, as she fed the ferals. The old lady didn't have any cats that went inside, but she did have a dog a Jack Russell Terrier named Pookie, who often went outside to play with the cats when the old lady fed them. The old lady and Pookie lived in the corner house on the street behind Puck's house. The other lady was much younger. She lived with another lady she called Mom. This confused Puck because his human often referred to themselves as Mom when speaking to him, even though the other humans in his house called them Fern. Puck assumed that the word Mom meant caretaker in human speak, but he didn't understand why some humans needed caretakers too. Puck often heard the caretaker call the young lady Sweetie, so he assumed it was her name. Sweetie and her mom lived in a house in the next circle over from Puck's house. They had two cats that lived with them, and Puck knew them well. A short-haired buff tabby named Rupert, and a Turkish Angora named Princess. Puck also had others at home other than his human caretaker. Fern referred to these as his brothers and sisters. Along with the other young human in the house, the one they called Tina. The 
brothers and sisters consisted of the other animals that lived at Puck's house. There was another adult cat male that was the oldest of the group. He was white with dark gray patches. He was big and strong. He was sometimes mean to Puck, but Puck still loved and trusted him. His name was Checkers. There were three other cats too, a pair of kittens that his human companions had recently taken in. Their names were Nix and Nisha, but everyone called them the twins. The twins' life giver, Nora, also had come with them, but she spent as much time outdoors as Puck. Puck also had two brothers that were dogs. One was a golden retriever named Fred, the other a pit bull boxer mix named Ares. There was also a black long-haired cat named Iris, but her body had gone away a long time before, and now Puck could only see her when she wanted him to. Puck loved his freedom, and often the other animals in the neighborhood couldn't understand why he liked to be outside so much. It didn't matter if it was hot, cold, windy, or wet. Puck was almost always out and about exploring every inch of the neighborhood. Puck's days were not all filled with bliss, though. There were also a lot of mean people in the neighborhood. Some of them did not like cats and would chase Puck and others from their yards with dirt sticks and water spitters. Sometimes the mean people would put food and water outside their houses. Puck once had a friend, a feral cat named Bobo, who had eaten some of the food one of the mean people put out. Puck watched Bobo get sick very quickly after eating it. Puck tried to take care of him, but not long after, Bobo laid down and didn't get back up. Puck was sad when Bobo left his body, said goodbye, and climbed up the rainbow. Before he left, though, Bobo made Puck promise he would warn all the neighborhood cats and ferals not to eat the mean people's food and to keep the cats and other animals of the neighborhood safe from them. Puck took his promise very seriously. Whenever he saw a human that he did not trust setting food or water outside, Puck would sneak up to the house and spray everywhere. He told all his feral friends that if they smelled his scent to stay away from those places, he made sure to explain that it was not claiming them, but rather marking them as bad places. Fortunately, all the neighborhood animals had heard what had happened to Bobo and understood. Puck had a few scary, nearest encounters when he was marking some places. Once Puck was marking an old man's house when he found some green water and a dish of kibble in his yard. As Puck turned his tail to the wall by the dish and began to spray, he heard a loud popping noise and a rock hit the dirt near him and startled him. Puck jumped and looked around. He saw the old man standing on his porch, pointing a stick at him. Puck realized it was the stick that had made the pop. And when he did it again, another rock hit near him. Puck quickly turned to run and just made it to the street when another pop rock hit the ground near him and made a funny ping sound. Puck scurried across the street and into the alley behind his house to escape the flying pop rocks. For the most part, Puck's marking technique worked pretty well. All the neighborhood domesticated and feral cats knew Puck's scent and avoided places when they came across it. There were things that Puck couldn't mark for warning though and those things were beginning to frustrate Puck. The people that Puck liked least were the ones who drove cars through the neighborhood in the middle of the night. Humans in cars at night often sped up like they were trying to hit cats who wandered the neighborhood at night. 
I could see a few of the neighborhood ferals get snatched up by people who would stop their car to jump out and catch them. Puck never saw those poor cats again, and he often wondered what happened to them. One night, Puck and Nora left the house around the same time. They went off in their own directions as they always did. It wasn't uncommon for the two to run into each other while out wandering the neighborhood. That particular night, Puck was exploring an alley, hunting for mice, when he heard what sounded like a human car come to a sudden screeching stop. Then he heard the shrieks and hisses of a cat and the voices of humans. Puck ran to the end of the alley to look into the street where the noises were coming from. He got there with just enough time to see a human man trying to hold Nora in his arms as she kicked and scratched. Puck ran toward the car as fast as he could, but the man got in and closed the door. The car pulled away before Puck could reach it. All Puck could do was stand in the street and watch as the car drove away. The next few days were uncomfortable at his house. Puck could feel that the humans were very sad that Nora was missing. The animal brothers and sisters were confused. Puck told them the story of what happened to Nora, but they couldn't understand why the strange man had taken her, or why they weren't bringing her back. It wouldn't be long before Puck would be unfortunate enough to find out for himself what Nora's fate had been. On the rare occasion that Puck was actually home, he paid attention to the things that humans spoke about. Oftentimes, when he was out wandering the neighborhood, checkers would keep him updated with the affairs at home, and when they would run into each other outside the house, one night, Checkers informed Puck that the humans had been talking about something they read about on their phones. He said that the family were talking about pets going missing from the neighborhood. Apparently, there were many animals other than Nora that had gone missing from the area. Most of the missing animals were cats, but a few small dogs had disappeared as well. Checkers told Puck the way the humans had made it sound. This had been going on for a few weeks and it was not limited to their little neighborhood. The adjoining neighborhoods, humans were reporting their missing pets as well. The news greatly concerned Puck. He thought to himself he was failing at the promise he had made Bobo. That night, after parting ways with checkers, Puck paid more attention as he wandered around the neighborhood. He began noticing that on the man-made trees, people had started hanging pictures of missing pets. He stopped to take a close look at every picture he came across. Most of them were cats and dogs that he had never met. There were even a few pictures of the cockatiel that had gone missing. Puck stopped to think about the birds he had caught lately on his hunts. He remembered a few wrens and sparrows and one mockingbird and had made the mistake of getting aggressive with him. He didn't remember killing any birds that looked like that one though. Puck made his way to the apartment complex that bordered the north end of the neighborhood. He wanted to talk to some of his feral friends that lived in the parking lot and the empty lot next to the apartments. They were usually up to date on all the feral news and they were well liked and trusted by the feral community in the area. Puck wanted to know if any of the neighborhood ferals had gone missing recently. His feral friends were three black short-haired cats. Because they were feral, they had never been given names by humans, so Puck called them black number one, black number two, and black number three. For simplicity, he usually just called them one, two, and three. The apartment complex where the black cats lived was a large complex with multiple two-story buildings and parking lots that weaved between them. 
Puck knew his friends and spent most of the night in the complex scrounging for food and water. Because of this, it wasn't always easy to find them at night. They tended to split up and wander the complex. If it were daytime, they would be hiding in the bushes or the lot next to the complex. But it would be several hours before the sun came back up, and Puck wanted to know right away if they had any information. Puck searched the buildings of the apartment complex, circling each one and checking bushes, patio furniture, and barbecue grills as he went. As he was beginning to get frustrated with his search, he heard a sultry meow that he recognized coming from above him. He looked up at the balcony above him, and sitting on the rail was black number one. One was a female who often flirted with Puck. Her ear was tipped, so Puck knew that she did not go into heat, so it was more of a tease than anything else. Puck meowed back at one, and she began to use a tree next to the building to climb her way down from the balcony. Puck watched in admiration as she climbed down with one last graceful leap she was standing next to him. One asked Puck what brought him to her turf tonight as she circled him and flirtatiously brushed him with her tail. Puck told her about the domesticated animals that had been going missing and asked if she knew if any of the feral community were accounted for. One told him that she hadn't heard anything but that she hadn't left the apartment complex in several days. She said that several nights before she was crossing the street to the houses near Puck's when a human car had sped up and tried to hit her. She said she was just able to get out of the road before they did. She told Puck that the humans had the window down and she could hear them laughing and shouting at each other that they had missed. As she finished her story, Puck heard a growl and a hiss. He turned and saw that crouched underneath the car were two cats, but he couldn't see what it was in the darkness. The two cats darted out from underneath the car and hopped toward Puck and one. As they hopped sideways, they hissed and arched their backs like cartoon cats that hang in the windows during Halloween. Puck could now see who the cats were, and he knew they were just messing with him. Puck also arched his back and hissed at the other two cats. They backed up in a defensive posture. Then they all relaxed and laughed. It was black number two and black number three. One stood and groomed herself while her brothers and Puck rolled about and played chase for a few moments. Then she grew tired of their play, and as three ran by her, she hissed and swatted at him. The three males stopped and began to calm down. One reminded Puck of the reason that he had come to visit, and Puck regained his composure to ask two and three what he had asked one. After a moment's recall, three asked two if he had heard a rumor about the feral that they called Scratches. He hadn't been seen in a few days. Two confirmed that he had heard the rumor earlier that night. He said they had been going through the garbage behind the church a few streets over and had run into some of the ferals that lived there. Scratches lived across the street behind the laundromat, and the church cat said that one night they had seen some humans in a car stop and grab Scratches. Apparently, no one had seen him since. Puck asked how many days it had been since Scratches was snatched, and Two said that he wasn't sure. Three told Puck that he had heard the rumor about Scratches nabbing two moons earlier, and when he had spoken to the old raccoon that roamed the alleys of the neighborhood. The raccoon said that he was on the roof of the laundromat when he heard a commotion, and also saw what had happened. Puck asked the brothers if anyone they had spoken to had described the car that had taken scratches. Chu said and the church cats had mentioned that it was one of those little cars that humans plug in, the ones that don't make a lot of noise. He said they also mentioned that it was black, and that one human was driving the car, while another got out to grab scratches. Puck then asked if anyone mentioned why Scratches didn't try to run. Three said that the old raccoon had mentioned he saw the humans throw something at Scratches, and Scratches got tangled up in it. That's how the humans were able to catch him. 
One grew tired of the boy chatter and interrupted by rubbing her head against Puck's chin. She then inquired as to why he was asking all the questions about scratches. Puck asked three friends if they had noticed the pictures of all the missing pets that had been posted around the neighborhood recently. They all acknowledged that they had indeed seen quite a few posters go up recently. Puck then told them about Nora and how he had seen her taken by the humans, the same way that they had just described Scratch's abduction. He told them that the car the church cats described to two was the same kind of car that had taken Nora. He also told them that Nora had not been seen either. The three siblings looked at each other and agreed that they should stay more alert when they were out and about at night. Then they told Puck that they would spread the word about the black car and the humans that appeared to be nabbing pets and ferals from the neighborhood. Puck asked them to keep their eyes open for any more information they may come across as well. He told them that he would check them from time to time, both to see if they had found anything out and to make sure they were okay. His friends agreed and three sarcastically asked Puck who had made him the neighborhood watchdog. Puck replied that no one had officially, but that he was trying to fulfill a promise they had made to a dear friend. He bid farewell to his friends and headed back toward the cul-de-sac. He crossed the street from the apartment complex and noticed that on the pole next to the bus stop, one of his caretakers had hung a poster with a picture of Nora on it. A few days passed and Puck continued patrolling the neighborhood. He hadn't seen any new signs of missing pets go up or heard anything about any others going missing. He was out wandering one night and had relaxed his tension somewhat. That would prove to be a mistake as he became the next one to go missing. Puck was distracted while sniffing around in some bushes that were in the front yard of a nice lady who had left water out for the neighborhood animals. He didn't notice the black electric car that was creeping down the street. By the time the car got close enough to Puck for him to hear it, it was too late. Puck heard something and turned, startled to see what it was. When he turned around, he saw the car stop near him. There were two humans in the car, one driving. The other was in the passenger seat and had the window down. Puck noticed when he turned that the one with the window down was pointing something in his direction. It looked like one of the light sticks that some humans carried in the dark, but no light was coming from it. As Puck turned to run, he heard a loud popping noise, and then suddenly, something draped over him, and his running only made him get tangled in it worse. Puck kicked and scratched and hissed, but there was nothing he could do. With each movement, he seemed to get more tangled. He realized what he was tangled in. The humans had thrown a net at him, and the thing the human had pointed at him had shot the net at him, and now he writhed and clawed as the man got out of the car, picked him up, and got into the back seat of the car. The car began driving as the man shoved Puck into a large pet carrier that sat in the seat next to him. There were two other cats, also both wrapped in nets, inside the carrier with Puck. The two cats recognized Puck's scent and called out to him. He calmed himself and recognized both their calls and their scent. One of them was one of the ferals that they called the church cats. The other was Tuxedo. He asked them what had happened and they both said that the humans had snuck up on them and thrown nets at them just like they had him. The church cat said that they had chased all of his brethren, but he was the only one who they caught. Tuxedo said that he had actually been sleeping in one of the big trees in his house when he woke up to the net hitting him. 
He said he fell out of the tree and was already tangled. The church cat said that he had been caught earlier and that the humans had been driving around for a long time. He said that he was alone in the carrier for a few hours before they caught Tuxedo. The car pulled into a fueling station and the man in the back seat got out and got back into the front passenger seat. The cats could hear the two men talking about calling at night. Puck looked through the door of the cage and out of the car window and could see that it was starting to get light out. The sun would soon come up. The driver told the other man that he would head for the warehouse and he began driving. The car didn't travel for long, and as daylight bloomed, the car stopped and the two men got out. One of them opened the back door and retrieved the pet carrier. The three cats were tossed around inside as they were all bound, and the man wasn't gentle carrying it. Puck tried his best to get a look around. During the short time, the men walked from the car into the building. There weren't a lot of humans around. There were buildings with garage doors instead of walls, and big noisy machines lined the outer walls of many of them. The two men entered one of the buildings with the pet carrier. The first room in the building was big and empty. It reminded Puck of the room his family stored their cars in, but much bigger. The floor was concrete and bare, and the only things in the room were two sets of seats like the ones humans use at their sport arenas, and several sections of chain-link fence stacked against a wall. The concrete between the seat areas was stained with what Puck could smell was a mixture of blood and floor cleaners. The men continued to walk across the big room while they talked about how tired they were. Puck tried to get the other two cats to stop making noise so he could hear what they said. The man that was carrying them said something about only catching three cats and a big fight weekend coming up. He also mentioned that he hoped three cats was enough and that he hoped that someone named Tyson wouldn't be angry. That was all they caught. They were approaching a door that was on the other side of the big room. As they drew close to the door, Puck could hear the sound of dogs barking. The other man told the first that they may need to try another neighborhood the next night. They went out. He opened the door for the man holding the carrier, and as the door opened, the sound of the dogs barking grew louder, and the church cat and tuxedo began to panic. They began to squirm and hiss, but Puck tried his best to calm them down. He reminded them that they were all bound and told them to save their strength. He said that whatever reason the humans had captured them, they would likely untie them at some point. He told the other cats that was when they could attempt escape. Tuxedo knew Puck well, so he trusted him, and did his best to calm himself. The church cat, however, continued to freak out. He started nervously chattering speculation as to what might happen to them. Once through the door, a long hallway with a few doors led to a door at the other end. The two men opened this door, and the sound of the dogs barking got very loud. This door led to another large room that wasn't as big as the first room. Puck could now see the dogs were barking. He explained to the other two cats. Puck told Tuxedo and the church cats that the room they were now in was lined with cages. Some of the cages had dogs in them. All of them appeared to be pit bull terriers. Puck recognized that these dogs weren't like his brother Ares at home though. Ares was a mixed breed. These dogs were all pure pit, except for the biggest one. He was a little different. Two men walked into an area in the room. As they turned the cage, Puck could see that there was a wall of smaller cages. Most of these cages were empty, but a few of them contained cats. The men set the pit carrier down on a table, and one of them walked over and opened three of the empty cages, while the other opened the carrier and retrieved Puck. 
As the man lifted him and set him down on the table, Puck caught a glimpse of a cat who was in the top row of cages. It looked like Nora. The man set Puck down on the table, and the other man held him down, while the first man unwrapped the netting that was around him. Once his head was unwrapped, the man grabbed Puck firmly by the scruff of the neck. The first man finished unwrapping the net and told the other man they'd be able to reuse it. Puck began to kick, scratch, and hiss, but the man's grip on its scruff was too firm. The man carried Puck over to the wall of cages, held him up, and looked at him. He turned toward the other man and said, This one still has his balls. The first man replied simply by saying, Nice. The man put Puck into an open cage on the top row and closed the latch door. Puck rushed the cage door and slammed his body against it, but it did not budge. Puck watched as the men repeated the unwrapping process with Tuxedo and the church cat. Some of the dogs continued to bark while others laid down and rested. The two men placed Tuxedo in an empty cage next to Puck, and the church cat in a cage underneath Tuxedo's. The men then walked away toward the door that led to the hallway. As they walked, they spoke of how tired they both were again, and one of them told the other that they should show the new male cat to Tyson. They opened the door and walked through it closing it behind them. As soon as the door closed, the church cat began frantically asking what they were going to do. He talked about how he was afraid and needed to get out of that place. Puck quickly reminded him that he and Tuxedo were in the same situation, and there were other animals locked up. He told the church cat to calm down and give him a chance to come up with a plan. During all of this, Puck had completely forgotten about the cat in the cage that looked like Nora. He stood and attempted to look over at her. The cat was sleeping in the cage at the opposite end from Puck and Tuxedo, there were two empty cages between them. Some of the other cats, who were already there, when they arrived, began to stir. They started asking the new group who they were. Puck realized that these cats were not from his neighborhood, but his attention was focused on the cat at the end. He called out Nora's name a few times, and the cat stirred. She woke up and looked around a bit, then she sat up and stretched. Puck could see that he was right. It was Nora. He called out to her again and she looked around and spotted him. She called back to him and Tuxedo realized that it was her as well and greeted her. The church cat wasn't familiar with Nora and asked the three to confirm how they knew each other. Puck explained that Nora had recently been rescued along with her two kittens by a member of his human family. They had brought them from another neighborhood not long before. Puck asked Nora if she was okay and she replied that she was despite being locked in a cage all the time. Puck explained to her that he had seen the humans take her and tried to help but had gotten there too late. He asked her if the human had hurt her. Nora explained that they had not. She said that she was very scared the night they took her, but the next day she went into heat and they started being nice to her. She said that she overheard the one they call Tyson saying something about her having more kittens. Nora asked Puck how long it had been since the night she was taken because she could not see the sun or the moon from inside the building. Puck told her that it had been 10 moons, and the caretakers had begun putting posters up of her around the neighborhood. Nora shot to her feet and frantically asked Puck if Nix and Nisha were okay. Puck attempted to calm her and assured her that they were fine back at the human house with the caretakers. Nora felt a little better knowing that her twins were okay. Puck wanted to know how much Nora knew about this place they were in, so he started asking her question. Nora did her best to pass on what information she had. There were a few other cats in cages on the wall and Nora explained that a few of them had been there when she got there and a few had been brought in after her. 
She said that there had been a few others, but a few nights before, they were taken one by one into the hallway and were never brought back. Puck asked Nora if she knew Scratches and if he'd been one of the cats that was there before. Nora didn't know Scratches, so the church cat described him to her. Nora told them that the cat matching the description had been there, but that he was one of the cats that had been taken into the hallway and never returned. She told them that night several of the locked up dogs had been taken out of the hallway as well. Most of them, however, were brought back later. Some of them were not. The ones who were brought back were pretty badly injured and bleeding. Nora said that there was a veterinarian there that night who attended to the injured dogs. Puck paid attention to the dogs that were in the cages across the room for the first time. He quickly realized that the big one reminded him of his brother Ares. He could see the one that the veterinarian had most likely treated a few nights before, as Nora described. They had wounds on them that looked fairly fresh. Puck observed that the rest of the locked up dogs all had many scars dispersed all over their bodies. The church cat asked Nora why the dogs had come back wounded, but the cats never came back at all. Nora explained that she didn't know why, but she said there was a lot of noise coming from the big room at the other end of the hallway that night. She said she could hear humans yelling and cheering and dogs barking a lot. Puck asked Nora if she had tried asking any of the dogs what had happened. Nora explained that the dogs in the cages across the room were not nice. They never spoke to the cats in here at all. She had attempted to talk to them, but she said it was almost like they were afraid to talk to the cats. Puck noticed that one of the injured dogs was watching them and listening in on their conversation. When Puck made eye contact with the dog, it turned its head in shame. Tuxedo asked Nora about the other cats that were locked in the cages on the wall with them. She said the ones currently caged with them were all ferals. Nora had spoken with them and they were from different neighborhoods judging from the descriptions of where they were caught. Nora said all the cats were caught the same way by the two men in the quiet black car. She admitted to Puck that she had made the mistake of thinking the two men might be nice when they approached her. She was not netted like the rest of them. She said that one of the cats that had been taken to the other room a few nights before was from their neighborhood. She was a house cat that had snuck out when her humans left the back door of their house open. Puck explained to Nora about all the animals, both feral and domesticated, that had been going missing lately. He told her about all the posters the humans had put up and reminded her that their human caretakers had put up posters of her. This news actually made Nora feel good for the first time since she had been caught. Puck glanced over at the dog cages again and noted that the big dog who had been listening to them before was once again eavesdropping. While a lot of the other dogs were just fidgeting and barking, that one dog stayed quiet and calm and just observed. Puck knew this dog was different from the others but wasn't sure why just yet. Puck made full eye contact with the dog again and the dog once again turned his head and laid down. The church cat began to pace and nervously ask questions that no one had answers to. He asked why they were there, what they were going to do, if they were going to die, and a variety of other questions. For the most part, Puck and the other cats ignored him until he asked the one question that they all pondered. How are we going to escape? Puck looked around as the other cat seemed to be turning to him, like he was the leader. Puck looked over at the wounded dog again. The dog was still laying down, facing away from them. Puck told the other cats, We'll think of something.
few days passed and a few more cats had been brought in by the two men who had captured Puck and his friends. The veterinarian had been there and had tended to the injured dogs again. He also performed examinations on both Nora and Puck, but not on any of the other cats. The reason for Puck's exam was not evident, but Nora revealed to them what she heard the veterinarian say to one of them after her exam. The vet had confirmed that she was in heat. After the medical exams, the one they called Tyson finally made an appearance in the cage room as well. Tyson was much bigger than the other human males, and Puck now understood why they did not want him to be upset with them. Tyson approached the cat cages with the veterinarian and began talking about Nora and Puck. The veterinarian explained to Tyson that Nora was not spayed and was in heat, and that Puck was still intact, as he had not been neutered. Tyson asked the vet if it were reasonable to assume they would mate if given the opportunity, and the vet said that it was. The vet suggested that Puck and Nora be placed into one of the large crates they used to transport the dogs in, so they could be given the opportunity. Puck and Nora looked at each other, slightly confused as to why these humans were so interested in the two of them mating. As they pondered it, the other two men entered the room from the hallway and approached Tyson and the veterinarian. Tyson then revealed his plans. He told the other three men that Puck and Nora should be kept healthy and allowed to mate. He said that if they could produce a litter of kittens, they could use those kittens, and any other intact cats they could catch to produce more litters. He told them that eventually, they could even have enough cats that they wouldn't need to go out and catch them anymore. He said that instead, they could just breed them like they did the dogs. The two men who had captured all the cats looked very happy to hear the news. One of them hit the other in the chest and told them that they wouldn't have to stay up all night any longer, at least not on the nights they didn't want to. The other man smiled and nodded his head saying, hell yeah. Tyson turned to them and told them not to get too excited, as he predicted that it would take at least six months for them to get to that point. Tyson then asked the veterinarian when they could put Puck and Nora together in the dog crate. The vet responded that they should wait until Nora began chirping and howling again. Puck, Tuxedo, and the church cat all looked at Nora as she shyly admitted that she had gotten a little worked up a few nights before they arrived. That's how the men had learned she was going into heat. Tyson told the two cat catchers to check up on Nora while they were there at night, and if they heard her howling to put her and Puck into one of the dog crates together. He turned to walk away and the veterinarian followed, but before entering the door to the hallway, he shouted back at the cat catchers, not to forget to put food and water in the crate with them. When Tyson and the vet left the room, the other two men discussed tending to the dog cages and left the room to fetch supplies. When the two men were gone, Tuxedo got the attention of Nora and Puck. He asked them why this Tyson guy wanted to breed so many cats. Puck and Nora admitted that they wondered it themselves. Humans usually took measures to ensure cats didn't have kittens. Suddenly, they heard a female voice above them declare, I guess some girls just have all the luck. The group looked up and spotted where the voice had come from. High up in the rafters that supported the roof of the building, a cat was lying on one of the beams, with one of her front paws dangling and her tail flicking about. It was black number one. The dogs began barking incessantly when they heard one meow, and now she shouted at them to shut up as they were all locked up and couldn't do anything. Puck asked one what she was doing there and advised her to be careful not to get caught herself. She sarcastically remarked that unless the humans could fly, they would not be able to reach her where she perched. Tuxedo told Puck that she had a point, and Puck urged Tuxedo not to interrupt. One then turned the question around, Puck, and asked, What are you guys doing here? Puck explained that they had all been captured by the two men that had just left the room. 
He told her he felt this was where all the missing neighborhood animals were ending up. One looked over at the dogs and asked if they were included in Puck's statement. Puck told her no. He didn't believe that they were captured. Tuxedo, growing anxious, then asked one if she knew exactly where they were. One asked all the cats if they recalled how the apartment complex she and her brothers lived in were separated from their neighborhood by a little side street. The group from the neighborhood acknowledged, and the other caged cats explained that they were from different areas. One then asked the ones who knew to recall that there was a very large parking lot on the other side of her apartments. Again, the familiar ones acknowledged. One that explained that the building they were currently in was on the other side of that parking lot. None of the cats from Puck's neighborhood had ever ventured that far, so this came as a surprise to them. They were still relatively close to home. Nora then asked one if she knew what the humans did in this building. One ignored Nora and sassily asked Puck if this was the friend he had told her and her brothers about. Nora looked at Puck in a bit of shock, and Puck, embarrassed, admitted that it was. One then explained that she was not familiar with what the humans did in the building, but that she did see a lot of them come to the building every seven moons or so. She said that most of the time they came at night, and she had never seen more than a few men come and go during the day. Puck asked if she had ever seen them bring animals, but she apologized and said that she hadn't paid that much attention. Puck then explained to one that something strange was going on in the building. He told her that the cats were brought to the building and never seen again, after they were taken down the hallway to the big room. One asked why they wanted lucky little Nora to have Puck's kittens, and Nora chimed in, stating that she believed one had heard the entire conversation between the humans just as they had. She then asked one why she thought the humans might want her to have Puck's kittens. One retorted by saying she retracted her statement about some girls having all the luck, given the fact that Nora was locked up. Tuxedo decided to interrupt and asked if anyone had any ideas about how they were going to get out. The church cat then reminded all of them that unless someone knew how to open the cages, none of them were going anywhere. Puck had studied the latches on the cages since they arrived and he told everyone that they were animal proof. He had watched the humans open the latches to feed them and the dogs, but Puck wasn't sure how to imitate the action they used to open them. Humans, after all, had very strange paws that Puck was sometimes envious of when he saw them carrying things. The church cat suggested that one go alert the human caretakers of Puck, Nora, and Tuxedo. The church cat had always been feral, so he wasn't keen to the way cat-human interpersonal relationships actually worked. The rest of the group explained to him that although they could understand the human speak, humans are not very good at understanding cat speak. One could attempt to get their attention, but they would most likely just assume she wanted food. As the church cat hung his head in shame coming up with a bad plan, one was quick to point out that as bad as it was, it may be the only chance they had. The group agreed, and one began to climb the rafters. The group watched as she ascended up to the little ventilation window that was open. None of them had even realized the building had windows. One slipped out the window and poked her head back in for a moment. She yelled at the group, You guys owe me for this. Then she disappeared from the window. When she was gone, Puck just happened to look down toward the dog cages that were below the window. The big wounded dog was once again listening. Hours later, noise could be heard coming from the big room at the other end of the hallway. The dogs barked at the raucous and the cats wondered what the humans were doing in there. The veterinarian and Tyson had come in and looked over all the dogs at one point. The veterinarian pointed out some of the dogs to Tyson and told him that they were all good to go for the night. 
He then pointed a few others and stated that they were still too injured from last week. The two cat catcher men entered the room and Tyson passed on to them what the veterinarian had told them. As the men discussed the dogs, a loud sound broke through even the noise of the dogs barking. The men all turned and looked toward the cats and all the cat's eyes turned toward Nora. Nora was rolling around on the floor of her cage, caterwauling. Some of the other cats began asking what she was doing. Nora apologized and said that she couldn't help it. She was in heat and was having a flare-up. She writhed around on the floor of her cage and yelled once again, declaring that the agony of being in heat was making her do it. The veterinarian motioned to the two cat catchers and one of them walked over to a corner while the other walked toward the cat cages. The first man carried a large dog crate over to the cat area as the second man opened Nora's cage and picked her up. Nora squirmed but couldn't get out of the man's grasp and he placed her into the dog crate. The other man closed the door. The man then opened Puck's cage and grabbed him. Puck fought much harder than Nora did. He writhed and squirmed while hissing and growling. The man struggled to maintain his grasp on Puck while Puck scratched and attempted to bite him. The other man was laughing and telling the first to hurry as he waited to open the door for the dog crate. As the man approached the crate with Puck, Puck was able to twist his body in the man's grip and he bit down hard on the meaty part of one of the man's hands. The man screamed in pain and as Puck squeezed down on the bite, he felt the man's other hand wrap around his neck. The man held Puck around the neck with both hands and as he began to squeeze, Puck could feel pressure building up in his eyes as he gasped for breath. He continued to kick and flail, but the way the man held him around the neck, it only added more pressure when he did. The dogs barked and the cats hissed in pace as Puck felt himself losing consciousness. Suddenly, the man let go and dropped Puck to the floor. Puck gasped and took in a deep breath. His throat was sore. As his wits returned, Puck looked over and see that the man who had been choking him was also on the floor. He held the back of his neck with the hand that Puck had bitten. Tyson stood ominously over them. For the first time, Puck realized just how big and scary Tyson really was. The other cat catcher grabbed Puck by the scruff and opened the crate, tossing him inside with Nora. He closed the door and Nora rushed to check on Puck. The two cats watched the crate door as Tyson squatted down and grabbed the injured man by his hair. He yanked the man's head back and held his face near his own. Tyson then reached back and pulled a knife from the sheath on his belt, pressed the knife flat against the man's cheek and as he held him with a sharp point just below the man's eye. He asked the man, Do you want me to throw you in that ring tonight? The man wriggled in pain as he let out distress. No! To which Tyson responded, You don't do anything without me telling you to. That includes hurting these fucking cats. Understood? The man continued to agonize as he let out a faint, Yes! Tyson pulled the knife away from the man's face and placed it back in the sheath on his belt. He then pushed the man forward by his hair so that he hit the floor face first. Tyson turned and began to walk toward the door to the hallway. He stopped for a moment and looked at the veterinarian and told him, clean them up so he doesn't get a goddamn infection. Then he opened the door and the sound of many humans shouting could be heard coming from the other end of the hallway. Tyson entered the hallway and closed the door behind him. The veterinarian and the other cat catcher walked over to help the felled man to his feet. They walked him over to the little medical area they treated the dogs at, and the veterinarian began to look at the bite that Puck had left on his hand. Nora asked Puck if he was okay, and he told her that his throat and neck were very sore, but that he'd be alright. They heard Tuxedo shout at them, asking the two of them if they were okay. They looked through the holes in the dog crate and see that the cats were all focused on them. Nora shouted back that they were both okay, but that Puck was hurt. 
Suddenly, the pulsation of music could both be heard and felt coming from the other end of the building. As the veterinarian finished taping the bandage on the injured man, the other cat catcher slapped him on the shoulder and said, Showtime! The man nodded his head and the two walked over to the cat gate. It was hard for Nora and Puck to see what was happening through the holes of the dog crate. As the men had the door facing away from the cat wall, they could see one of the men approach the cages with a small cat crate. The injured man held the cat crate and opened the door, while the other opened the door to the church cat's cage and grabbed him. The church cat hissed and flailed, but this man was faster at handling the cats and quickly placed him into the carrier and closed the door. The two men began walking toward the hallway door. The church cat screamed and cried, asking the other cats where they were taking him. The man was carrying the crate backward so the church cat could see the cat wall and the crate that Nora and Puck were in through the door. He looked through the little holes in the back of the crate and fear set in when he realized where the men were walking toward. As the men approached the hallway door, the church cat screamed and pleaded at all the other cats to help him. He called Tuxedo, Nora, Puck by name, but he knew they were all helpless in their prisons. He looked up to the little window and called for Black Number One and for anyone to help him. He spun frantically inside the crate and the other cats watched as the veterinarian opened the door to the hallway. Loud music pulsed and humans could be heard shouting and screaming. The church cat continued to call out for help as the three men entered the hallway and the veterinarian closed the door behind them. A few moments after the men took the church cat into the hallway, the music and the human noise from the next room seemed to get louder. The humans were screaming and cheering. It reminded Puck of the noise the humans made when they dressed their children in armor and took them to the big field at their school to play the game with the big brown egg. Puck never understood the game when he watched, but the humans seemed to enjoy it. The way the humans were cheering, Puck couldn't help but wonder what kind of game they might be playing in there. Not long after the men had disappeared into the hallway, one of the cat catchers returned and opened the cage of one of the dogs. He placed a leash around the dog's neck and took the dog into the hallway. Once again, the pulsing of the music and the roar of the crowd got louder for a time. Soon the music got lower, but the cheering did not, and the noise of the dogs barking and growling loudly and aggressively joined in. The cats paced in their cages and the dogs barked incessantly, all but the big wounded one. Tuxedo called out to Puck and Nora to check on them as he couldn't really see them inside the dog crate. They both let him know they were okay, though Puck's voice was rather hoarse from the man choking him. None of the other cats in the cages had really opened up as they all seemed afraid. Tuxedo then began to just call out a series of questions, hoping that maybe someone might have some answers. He asked what everyone thought was happening in the big room. He asked why they took the church cat. He asked why they took the dog. He asked several more questions, but most had already been asked, and no one had answers. A deep, tired-sounding voice finally spoke up after Tuxedo finished his round of rapid-fire questions. The big wounded dog sat up and said, I'm sorry, your friend is dead. The entire wall of cats sat up, shocked to hear the voice of the big dog. All eyes from the cat wall turned to him. Nora and Puck stood on their hind legs to get a glimpse of him through the little holes in the dog crate. The big dog was sitting on his haunches and those who didn't know could now see just how big and imposing he was. The many scars across his face and body made this even more so. One of his ears was missing a large chunk. Puck called out from the dog crate saying, 
My name is Puck. What do you mean our friend is dead? The big dog spoke again, and what he said actually answered a great many of the questions that Tuxedo had and that the group had been pondering. The dog said, I am called Spartan. Your friend has been taken to the arena, which is what the humans call the big room at the other end of the hall. The humans make us fight. Dogs that are brought here by other humans. We are taught to hate cats from birth. Some dogs are very loyal to their human. If dogs refuse to fight, a cat is thrown into the arena. Most of the time, the dogs end up fighting over the cat. All of the cats, except for Puck, responded to what the big dog said by hissing and growling in unison. The sight and the sound would have frightened any human who would have been there, but alas, it was just cats and dogs. Puck asked Spartan, What do you mean, most of the time? Spartan answered, Some of us don't want to fight anymore. But we think the humans know. Those of us who choose not to fight are forced to fight the dogs that still love it. I have fought dogs attempting to save the cat, but I have always failed. Another dog chimed in. But you still never lost a fight. Spartan rose to all fours and barked ferociously at the other dog, who laid down on his belly and whimpered. Puck asked, Why don't you just refuse to fight from the beginning, altogether? Spartan replied, Because it is all we are taught, from the time we were pups. It is all that we know. The other dog chimed in once again, stating, The humans take care of us. They love when we win. Spartan again stood and growled viciously at the other dog, saying, Silence, Loki! The other dog once again laid down and whimpered. Most of the other dogs cowered as Spartan spent a moment staring down Loki. Another dog, whose cage was next to Loki's, approached him through the fence and told him, You are a fool. Spartan addressed the other dog by saying, Stand down, Grizzly. He isn't worth it. Grizzly walked to the opposite corner of his cage and curled up on the floor. Spartan once again turned his attention to the dog crate containing Puck and Nora. Then he said, I'm sorry about your friend. Puck thought for a moment as the cats on the wall began frantically meowing with fear. Nora curled up in the corner and Puck asked if she were alright. She told him she was feeling a little faint and was just going to rest. Puck then redirected his attention back to Spartan and asked, if I can get us out of here, will you dogs escape with us? Can we trust you not to attack us if we all try to run together? Spartan sat back down on his haunches and considered. Then he responded, No animal has ever escaped here. We cannot open the cages or get outside. Puck looked through the door of the dog crate at the door to the hallway. The handle that opened it was not a round one like many human doors had. This one was long and flat and Puck had seen the humans pull down on it to open it. He felt confident that any of them, dog or cat, could open that door if they really tried. He thought he remembered the doors inside the hallway as well, as the one at the other end that led to the big room. All had the same handles. He hoped he was right, and that the door the humans had used to first enter the building in the big room, the one that led to the outside, also had a handle like that. Puck called out to Spartan again. We can open the building doors if we can get the cage doors open. I'm still working on that, but if we can figure this out, can I count on you dogs to help us escape? We may need you to fight off the humans while we open the doors. Spartan pondered momentarily and then gave his answer. 
we will help. Loki again gave his unsolicited opinion by saying, We'll never get the cages open. It's impossible. And even if they do, why help them? The humans feed and take care of us. Spartan stood on all fours again and turned to face all the other dogs as his cage was at the end. He then decreed, We will all escape together. If any dog does not follow the plan we lay out, I will kill you myself. The other dogs whimpered and Loki again cowered, then Spartan continued by saying, I have lived my entire life in this building. The only times that I have been outside are when the humans take us out to express our waste or work our bodies for fights. I have fought countless times and hurt or killed many of my dog brethren for the amusement of these humans. I wish to see the world beyond the parking lot outside. Spartan then asked the dogs, Is that understood? One by one, the dogs barked until Loki, the last one, hesitantly barked in agreement. Spartan then turned back toward Puck, sat down and said, We will help. Puck felt a little nervous because now he had to come up with a way to open the cages, but he felt that they were in a better position now that they had an agreement with the dogs. Nora howled and when Puck turned to look at her, she was writhing around on the floor of the dog crate. He asked her if she was okay, but she didn't answer at first. He approached her and sniffed her. To his surprise, her scent was absolutely intoxicating. He asked her again if she were okay and she rubbed her head against his face. She turned and Puck wasn't sure what was happening, but he followed his instincts. As Nora and Puck howled and hissed for the next few moments, both the cats and dogs all focused on the dog crate with morbid curiosity. The night and the noise of the humans' music and shouting went on for quite some time, but it all eventually came to an end. Throughout the night, other dogs had been taken down the hallway. Each time one returned, they were battered and bloodied, and the veterinarian would come in and attend to them after another dog was taken. It appeared that Spartan was right about the church cat as he was never brought back, but thanks to an order given by Spartan to the other dogs, no other cats were taken that night. Spartan ordered all the dogs to fight with prejudice so that the humans would not need to utilize cats, and so they did, violently attacking their opponents immediately upon release into the arena. Spartan was the last dog to be taken into the hallway. As the cat catchers opened the door, he turned to the other animals and declared, The last fight until freedom. The dogs barked and the cats howled and hissed. The cat catchers yanked on Spartan's collar and took him down the hallway. Only a short time later, he was brought back and put back into his cage after the veterinarian tended to him. The noise of the people went away and the music stopped. Eventually, the humans turned off the lights and left the building like they did every night. Puck and Nora laid snuggling in the dog crate. Puck was anxious and Nora could tell and she asked him if he was okay. He told her that he was just a little worried about exactly how they were going to get the cage doors open since Spartan was convinced he had fought his last fight. It seemed like the humans did this about every seven moons he was keeping track of the light in the windows correctly. That meant that he had about six moons to figure out how to open the cages. A few moons passed and a few more cats were brought in. Puck and Nora had been moved back to their individual cages on the cat wall. Another of the church cats from the neighborhood, a calico, 
was caught and brought in, and Puck had the unfortunate task of telling her what had happened to her brother. The other cats were from other nearby neighborhoods. Puck, Nora, and Tuxedo filled the newbies in on the escape plan. Occasionally, Spartan would ask Puck if he'd made any progress with the doors, and Puck would have to spin a story to satiate him. Just as Puck was about to lose his confidence in the plan, the miracle they needed happened. One morning, Puck was awakened by a familiar voice calling his name. Puck groggily lifted his head and looked around. The voice called again, and he struggled to focus his eyes as he directed his ears toward the voice. Then Puck suddenly snapped awake when he realized where and who it was. The voice called out and Puck looked up at the rafter to see four very familiar faces. Sitting on the rafter just inside the little ventilation window was Black Number One and her brothers. They had someone else with them that Puck was not expecting. It was the old raccoon that lived in the neighborhood alleys. Puck called out to them and the rest of the cats and dogs started to stir and wake. The blacks and the raccoon worked their way across the rafters and down onto the dog cages. Some of the dogs began to bark and Spartan stood and ordered them to be silent. The group worked their way over to the cat wall. One explained that she had attempted to get the attention of Puck's human caretakers but they couldn't understand that she wanted them to follow her. She said that every time she tried, they would just give her food and water and would try to pick her up. She said that the one called Fern did follow her for a short way, but gave up for some reason. Tuxedo asked her if she had tried his humans, and she said they were even less attentive. Three spoke up and said that was when he got an idea. In his wanderings, he often crossed paths with the old raccoon. He said that they had even scavenged together several times. He recalled a few times the old raccoon had been able to open some of the containers that no cats would ever be able to open so they could get to the food inside. He said that if anyone other than the humans could open the cages, it was the old raccoon. He finally spoke up and admitted that it took a combined effort by all three of them and a few moons to find him. Puck asked if any of the humans had seen them. One explained that none of the humans were there yet. Puck told the group that they had come up with a plan for escape, but that they needed to wait for the humans to get into the building because they would have to unlock the doors. He then asked the old raccoon if he was sure he could open the cages. The old raccoon examined the door of Puck's cage and shook his head. He told Puck that he had never tried to open anything like that before and asked him if any of them had paid attention to how the humans did it. Puck explained that the humans used their strange paws to squeeze the pieces together. He pointed out the two metal rods he was referring to and explained that when they squeezed together, they moved the two bars that released the door. The old raccoon once again examined the door. A look of surprise came over his face and he declared, Oh, I see. Yeah. I can do it, but do me a favor. Next time you call someone's paws weird, make sure that someone else in the room doesn't have similar paws. With that, the old raccoon held up one of his front paws and wiggled his toes. The cats all stared in awe when they saw that the old raccoon's front paws looked a lot like the humans. The old raccoon reached for the rods on Puck's door and squeezed them together using both his front paws. The door opened. The old raccoon then opened the door wide and to his surprise, Puck pulled it closed again but did not latch it. Tuxedo asked Puck what he was doing and Puck said that he needed to explain the plan. He said that when the humans arrived at the building, they all needed to pretend they were still locked in their cages. He then asked the old raccoon to open all the cages. 
The old raccoon quickly obliged, and in just a few moments, he had all of the cat cages open. Puck then told him not to forget the dog cages. The old raccoon looked at Puck confused upon hearing that, and two interjected saying, Whoa, whoa, what? Did you say unlock the dog cages? Are you crazy? They'll tear us apart. Puck looked over at the dogs. They were all standing on point. Puck called out to Spartan, Do we still have your word? Spartan looked back at each of the dogs, and they all barked in unison. He turned back to Puck and replied, We're all ready. Puck nodded and turned back to the raccoon and said, Please, trust me. The old raccoon nodded and walked over the dog cages and began opening the doors. Puck called out to the animals, Okay, please, listen to me. Here's what we're going to do. Later that morning, the two men that the animals had come to call the cat catchers arrived at the building. They had another fight night coming and were there early to set up the big room. They unlocked the door and entered the building through the big room as always. The two men walked to a corner of the room where several tables and DJ equipment were set up. Each of them had travel mugs of coffee. They placed them on the table and began setting up. The men walked over to the stack of chain link fences and began dragging them over to the area with the bleacher seating. One by one, the men stood up the fencing and linked it together until eventually a large steel cage resembling the ones used in professional wrestling surrounded the area between the bleachers. Two of the sections had gates swung open, which is how the handlers would get the dogs into the cage. One of the men went into the hallway. One of the few doors inside the hallway was a storage closet. He opened the closet and retrieved a large rolling stepladder that he pushed out of the hallway and into the big room. The man rolled the ladder across the big room, pushed it up against a section of the fencing that was between two sets of bleachers. This was how the men introduced cats to the arena when needed. When the dogs didn't fight, one of them would climb this ladder and with a cat in hand and toss the cat over the fencing into the cage. After setting up the cage, the two men walked back over to the DJ table area and drank their coffee. They talked about trivial things whilst they drank their coffee and double-checked the DJ equipment. The DJ would come set up his gear the night before a fight night, and the two men's duties also included making sure all the lights and equipment would be working properly for the fights. Once the men had checked all the connections and power for the DJ equipment, they carried two of the lights over to the fencing and, and set them up the lights aimed at the floor inside the cage. Once they did this, the arena was ready, and the two men celebrated their accomplishments by taking seats on the bleachers. One of them pulled a bottle out of his pocket and took a big joint out of it. He lit it, and the two men passed it while they chatted and finished their coffee. When they had fulfilled their need for coffee and weed, one of the men stood up and slapped the other on the shoulder, stating that it was time to feed the animals. The other man stood, and as they walked toward the hallway, he took one last puff of the joint tossed the roach on the ground and stamped it out. They entered the hallway and as they walked toward the other end, one of them mentioned to the other that Tyson should be there any minute. They reached the door and led to the room the animals were kept in, unlocked it, and entered. When the men entered the room, all the cats and dogs were laying down in their cages. As the two men retrieved bags of food from the cabinet next to the vet table, one of them noticed something odd and pointed it out to the other saying, Hey, how come the dogs ain't barking? They usually go nuts when we get here. The other man took note and smugly remarked 
to enjoy the silence for a change. The first man still felt uneasy and pointed out something else. The cats are all just sitting there. Staring too. The fuck, man? The other man looked toward the cat wall and oddly, each cat was sitting up in the cage. And they were all just watching the men. He said to the first man, Okay, I admit that's a little creepy, but they're probably just hungry. You do the dogs, I'll get the cats. The first man agreed hesitantly and picked up the large bag of dog food. The other picked up the bag of cat food and they headed for their respective tasks. As they each approached their wall of cages, Puck looked over towards Spartan and nodded his head. Spartan returned the nod. As the first man set the bag of dog food down next to Spartan's cage, he noticed the door was not latched. He reached for the latch and whispered to himself, What the fuck? Suddenly, Spartan let out a haunting call that sounded half-howl and half-growl. The man jumped back a step. Just then, all the dogs slammed into their cage doors and the door swung open. The man jumped again and turned to see the dogs all exiting their cages and walking slowly toward him, growling. The man froze in terror as five pit bull terriers slowly surrounded him. He called out to his companion, Yo, B, the dogs are loose! The other man had just set down the big bag of cat food in front of the cat wall. He turned to see his partner in crime surrounded by the dogs. The dogs growled viciously at him as he attempted to calm them by saying, Nice doggies. Good boys. The dogs were usually easily handled one at a time, but this was not a situation either man had ever been in. B said to his friend, Hold still and stay calm. The dogs closed in on the man as he attempted to take a step back. He felt the door to a cage hit him in the back. He slowly turned to look, only to see that Spartan was also out of his cage, and now stood behind him, growling and drooling. He called out to his companion again. Be the big dogs out too. B was holding his hands out in a defensive posture, and decided to attempt to approach his friend, thinking that together they might be able to wrangle the dogs calmly. He only made it one step though, before the next part of the animal's plan was set. Puck let out a meow that sounded more like a primal scream, and with that the cats all slammed into the doors, pushing their cages open and began to hiss. B turned back around to see the sight that he had never thought would terrify him so much as all the cats stood in their cages with their backs arched and hissing in unison. The sound of the cats hissing and the dogs barking was haunting. Both men were petrified. The first called out again to his friend, B, what do we do? B never got a chance to answer. Suddenly, B felt the weight of three small animals land on his head and shoulders. They bit and clawed him and he flailed to get them off. He managed to grab hold of one of them and pulled it off and tossed it to the ground. It was black number two. One and three continued to claw, bite, and scratch him as he yelled out from the pain. His friend watched in shock as he stood, still surrounded by the snarling dogs. Two jumped onto one of B's legs and dug his claws in deep. As the man continued to writhe and flail, the rest of the cats leapt from their cages and joined the fray. As his friend fell to the ground and the cats overwhelmed him, the first man made the mistake of taking a step toward him. That's when the dogs began their attack. Spartan pounced on the man's back, knocking him to the ground. As the rest of the dogs pounced, he screamed for his friend's help but B was in no possession to help him. B could barely be seen beneath the mass of cats that hissed and growled as he writhed helplessly on the ground. B felt his eyes burst as claws ripped them open and realized he could no longer see. 
He felt a sharp pain from both ears as more cats ripped them off the side of his head and a warmth ran down his face when the flesh from his nose was torn in two. He kicked, swung his arms and rolled on the ground, but the cats would not let up. Over by the dog cages, the first man was faring even worse than his friend. He felt chunks of his flesh being torn from the bone as dog after dog sank their teeth into his arms, legs, and abdomen. The weight of Spartan on his back had been holding him face down as the dogs mauled him. In a desperate attempt to escape, he writhed and squirmed until he was able to turn onto his back. He began to kick as he attempted to hold back two dogs with his hands. It was all for naught, however, because as he held two dogs' chain collars in his hands, he left his throat exposed. Spartan jumped onto the man's chest, and the breath was quickly squeezed from his body by the weight of the dog. He instinctively tried to gasp for air, but as he did, he felt Spartan's jaws clench down on his neck, and the little air that passed through his throat was replaced by the salty taste of his own blood. His screams turned to gurgles as Spartan pulled with all his might and ripped the man's throat from his body. On the other side of the room, the man called B still struggled, but his movements had slowed down dramatically as the blood loss from his eyes, ears, and nose was beginning to catch up to him. He attempted to crawl toward the door because he could not get to his feet. The cats were still piled on his back. He called out for his boss, Tyson, in hopes that he had arrived at the building as they were expecting. But his cries went unanswered. The cats relentlessly bit down into his arms and legs and clawed and scratched his back. His desperate attempt to reach the hallway would also be thwarted as suddenly the cats disengaged and he couldn't feel them on him any longer. Still on the floor on his stomach, he attempted to raise his head to look around, only to once again realize that he no longer had eyes. He called out desperately for help but his cry was muffled when the weight of one of the dogs landed on his back. He was too weak to break free and felt that when Spartan bit into the back of his neck, Spartan then tugged and pulled at B while he held his neck firmly in his jaw. Spartan pulled back and bent B into position that resembled a twisted version of a yoga cobra pose. B flailed his arms around but contacted nothing as the powerful dog held him back. He squealed and screamed while he struggled to breathe when he suddenly felt the breath of another of the dogs on his face. He heard the dog begin to growl and he started to sob and beg the dog for mercy. It was Grizzly who had a particular hatred for B and was not feeling merciful. Spartan held B by the back of the neck and in an instant, B met the same fate as his friend as Grizzly tore his throat out with a swift chomp. The man wiggled in a death rattle for a moment as the blood spewed from the gaping hole where his Adam's apple once was. And then he stopped. Spartan released B's neck from his grip as the man's lifeless body made a splat noise as it hit the floor. The animals looked around at each other. The cats were grouped in a defensive posture and the dogs also grouped together. A tense moment passed as Puck approached Spartan. He carefully walked up to him, and Spartan lowered his head to Puck's level. The two touched noses, and Puck rubbed his body against Spartan's legs. The rest of the animals calmed, realizing their alliance was solid. Outside, a huge, lifted monster truck pulled up to the building, 
The truck parked and the driver opened the door. Tyson emerged from the cab. He locked his truck and headed inside the building. He entered the building through the door that led to the big room as always. As he did, he took note that his subordinates had already set up for the fight night. That was scheduled that evening. He was pleased when he saw the setup, but displeased when he smelled the remnants of the marijuana because they hadn't waited to share. He assumed that the two men were feeding the animals in the other room, so he headed for his office, which was one of the other doors inside the hallway. He was not expecting what waited for him when he opened the door to the hallway. He turned the handle and pushed the door open, only to see Spartan standing in the hallway, growling. Tyson backed away slowly and the dog matched his pace. The two hallway doors both opened inward. The animals were able to pull the handle and push the door from the smaller room open to enter the hallway. But it had been unsuccessful at pulling open the other door and Tyson had just solved their problem. Tyson watched in frozen terror as the door at the other end of the hallway opened and the rest of the dogs filled in. He couldn't see into the other room, but he could see that all the dogs were covered in blood and the faces of both Spartan and Grizzly were soaked in it. Tyson may have been the decision maker behind the dogfighting operation, but his instinct took over in this situation. As big a man as Tyson was and as intimidating as he'd been to his colleagues, he realized he stood no chance against the dogs and he turned to run. As Tyson turned to run, the dogs followed. Puck and Tuxedo quickly followed behind them as the door was about to close. They pushed up against it to keep it open. The door was heavy and the cats slid a little on the tile, but they were able to stop it and hold it open. The rest of the cats began filing through the door and running for the door that led to the outside. Tyson ran to the only sanctuary he could see. He ran up the metal stepladder in a desperate effort as the dogs followed. He leapt over the top of the fence and landed hard inside the arena. When he hit the floor, he felt a painful pop in his shoulder and realized that he could not move his arm. The shoulder was separated and he laid there on the floor in the middle of the dogfighting pit. The dogs barked frantically on the other side of the fence. Tyson realized that he was trapped until the veterinarian arrived, but also wondered if there was anything the vet would be able to do. He pulled the knife from his belt with his good arm and prepared for the worst. He sat up and winced at the pain in his shoulder as he did so. The dogs paced and growled on the other side of the fence, all but Loki, who stood still in the background. The last of the cats were gathering around the door at the other end of the room that led to the outside. Puck and Tuxedo let go of the hallway door and Puck directed Tuxedo to join the other cats. He then approached the arena. Spartan stood in front of one of the doors of the cage, so Puck took his place next to him. Tyson looked at the two animals, confused. He then looked over at the door and saw the clatter of cats waiting to be released. He couldn't understand why the dogs weren't attacking them, especially the gray one right next to Spartan. It's all they'd ever taught the dogs to do. Puck looked up at Spartan and Spartan down at Puck. Puck let out a meow as if he were signaling something. Then Tyson watched in utter disbelief as Puck and Spartan each stepped aside. A sight that Tyson never expected to see occurred as the old raccoon approached the cage door. 
Tyson watched bewildered as the old raccoon looked up at Spartan as if asking for approval. The raccoon squeaked, and the dog growled. The old raccoon climbed the cage door and opened the latch. The door had the same type of latch as the neighborhood trash dumpsters. The door slowly swung open outward, and Tyson realized there was now nothing between him and the dogs. Spartan growled and slowly began walking toward the cage, but was suddenly interrupted. Loki rushed by Spartan and Puck into the arena. He took a stance in front of Tyson and snarled at the alpha dog. Spartan was confused by this and asked, Loki, what are you doing? Loki responded in a way that none of the animals were expecting. They told him, Tyson has always been good to us. He feeds us, shelters us, and has a doctor that cares for us. Yeah, he makes us fight, but what's wrong with earning what he gives us? I can't let you hurt him. You've always been his top dog. If I kill you, he'll make me top dog. Spartan replied, You're confused, Loki. Tyson doesn't care for us. He profits from us. The humans use us for amusement. The only reason we have a doctor here every day is to tend to the wounds we endure. Stand aside, Loki. Tyson must pay like the others. Tyson had no idea what was going on as the two dogs snarled and barked at each other. He sat behind Loki, holding his injured shoulder and immobilized with fear. He whispered to Loki, Good boy, Loki. Good dog. Loki snarled at Spartan. You hear that? I'm a good boy. Spartan thought he was going to have to get through Loki to get to Tyson, but he didn't care, and as he took a step toward the open door of the arena, he was surprised by yet another of his dog brothers. Grizzly stepped up and stopped Spartan from entering the cage. He said nothing, just looked at Spartan and then toward Loki. Spartan understood and took a step back. Grizzly then approached the cage door. Loki barked and growled at him viciously, but Grizzly remained stoic. As Grizzly entered the arena, for the final time, he looked back at Puck and Spartan and said, Go. Then he looked at the old raccoon and told him, Latch the door. Grizzly entered the cage the rest of the way, and the old raccoon pushed the door shut and climbed up to the latch and locked it. Tyson could not believe his eyes. All the animals seemed to be communicating and working together. He thought to himself, how can this be? Where the hell did the raccoon come from? Loki continued to snarl at Grizzly, but Grizzly simply sat on his haunches and shouted out at all the other animals. I said go! The dogs all ran over to join the cats by the exit door. Puck, Spartan, and the old raccoon followed. Tyson watched as the animals grouped together. The old raccoon jumped on the Spartan's back and reached up and pulled the door handle. Then the dog pushed the door open and held it while the cats and dogs filtered out into the parking lot. Tyson watched dumbfounded, almost forgetting that he was trapped in his own cage. 
with two of his fighting dogs. As the last of the animals exited the building, Spartan released the door, and as it slowly closed behind him, they could hear all the sounds of Grizzly and Loki engaging in combat, along with the screams of Tyson, who was caught in the middle. The door closed and the group of animals began to disperse. Some of the cats and most of the dogs ran off in random directions. Puck called them all to come back, but they ignored him as they were just happy to be free. The cats from Puck's neighborhood all remained grouped together as well as the black siblings, the old raccoon, and Spartan. Tuxedo approached Puck and asked, Where are they going? And what now? Puck replied to him, The cats are probably going back to their old neighborhoods. I don't know where the dogs are going. Spartan spoke up and said, Let them go. They long to be free for the first time. Fate will decide where they end up. Puck and Tuxedo acknowledged Spartan's statement, and Puck spoke again, saying, Those of us that are left, go home, but find a puddle or fountain on the way home to clean up. Don't let any humans see the blood. They'll realize it's not yours. These humans can't hurt us anymore. But there are others like them. Watch out and take care of each other. The cats all nodded their heads in agreement and ran off in different directions toward their homes. Black number one approached Puck and told them, it's been fun, love, but my brothers and I better get out of here before any more humans arrive. She rubbed up against him, and then the three black cats ran off toward their apartment complex. Tuxedo looked up at Spartan and asked, What about you? Where are you going to go? Spartan replied, I have nowhere to go. Nora spoke up for the first time during the entire fray and stated that she had an idea. She whispered it to Puck, and although shocked, he agreed that it might work. He told Spartan, I think Nora and I may be able to help you, but you have to trust us, and we definitely need to get you cleaned up first. The old raccoon mentioned that there was a water fountain in front of the church that the church cats lived at. Puck said that was a great idea, and the group of animals all began to transverse the parking lot together. Halfway across, Spartan stopped for a moment and turned to look back at the building. Tuxedo noticed and asked him if he was okay. The rest of the group stopped and looked back at Spartan. He replied, I will be. Then the group began to run toward the church together. Tyson and his colleagues used animals for fun and profit. He thought he was an alpha, but I guess he learned that every dog has its day. And this day was definitely not his. Be sure to come back for part two, where we'll find out that Puck still keeps his promise to Bobo very seriously. Until then, I'm sorry if I scared you.